This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday and you're listening to the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do here every weekday at 4 o'clock is to take your phone calls and answer Bible questions or life questions, pretty much anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use the free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions in that way. If you are driving in your car and we're getting some thunder and lightning out here where we are, so if you're on the roads, please be safe. You can use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. And then you can use the hands-free feature on your phone. Uh, One more time, 340-9585. It's Tuesday. I don't really have anything to announce. I do want to say I did get to... Watch the uh, Sweet Summer Devotion last night. We had a really good turnout. And Rhoda did a great job, ladies, if you want to be encouraged and just sort of follow a timeline of a of a woman whose life has been committed to the Lord from the beginning. Uh, you can listen, uh, go to calvaryessay.com and watch. I was encouraged uh, just knowing how faithful God is. So that's what's going on here. Let's get right to the questions. I'm going to start today with the hardest question that I think we've had in our nearly seven years here. Uh, It's from our email inbox from Chuck. This pastor on, is there a meaning for the use of the plural word heads in Psalm 74 verse 13 as it refers to the monster? The same plural use of the word is applied to Leviathan in verse 14. And the question is, why? Uh, Chuck, I said this was the hardest question I think I've ever had on this program. Honestly, the truth is nobody really knows um, what this is. Let me read the verses. I'll read 13 and 14, and then we will. Uh, I'll do the best I can. Uh, it says, it was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. Now, a couple of things here before I go into uh, probably a too complicated of an answer. Uh, First of all, we have to remember that Psalms is poetry. 
and often with poetry, things are not literal, but they're symbolic. Let me just give you one example. Uh, I always use this one because it makes the point. The psalmist writes that uh, the trees of the field clap their hands. Well, we know trees don't have hands, and we know they don't clap, so we know that the poet is speaking figuratively, or he's using an allegory. Well, in this particular case, uh, Leviathan, there are several uh, references to Leviathan uh, in scriptures. Um, uh, it, was, it was thought to be a sea monster. Uh, and so there are some who take this literal, but I'm going to take just the opposite approach, Chuck. I think this is also figurative and spiritual. Let me explain. There's a couple of possibilities as to what this could be a reference for. Uh, first and foremost, knowing it was um, a poem, um, when it says um, that he broke the heads of the serpents, um, I believe this is a reference poetically to creation. There are some commentators who who say, no, this is deliverance from Egypt, and because the seas are often described uh, symbolically as the nations of the world, uh, they would say, well, this is Egypt in reference to Egypt. I really don't think that's the case. Um, in the Middle East, in the ancient times, there were a lot of legends about the gods who combated different hostile deities in order to create the earth. Um, biblical authors and some of their writings would make God the hero of those writings. In other words, they were taking something that was uh, symbolic and a legend, um, a pagan legend in the in the ancient world, and they're just simply turning them to God. You know, we do that with Christmas, and we do that with Easter. Uh, we take something that was um, um, phony uh, or started with with the wrong reasons or or pagan festivals, and we turn them and make God the hero. Easter, in particular, with Jesus's resurrection from the dead. So the idea here, I think, that it's God who divided the sea. Um, the the ancient legend said that that uh, there was a, a goddess uh, who was defeated by a, a good god, Marduk. Um, but it was God, not any one of those false gods, who broke the heads of, of the sea monsters in Leviathan. Now, in doing this, God is not affirming the mythology of the Canaanite world. That's important to understand. What he's doing is he's simply taking the, the, the imagery and twisting it to mean God. And in fact, the name Leviathan means twisting one, uh, and it's used in several places. So again, the Hebrew scriptures are not believing or adopting the Canaanite mythology. They take it and transform it to exalt God. Um Again, I believe that this is a reference to creation, uh, and he's just saying, um, basically the writer of this psalm is saying, my God is stronger than your God. So, Chuck, there's a whole bunch written on this, and it's really hard to understand. Truth is, all we can do is guess. I reject the fact that it's a reference to the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, um, and I believe it goes all the way back to creation. Good question. You're serious about studying. That's a hard one. There's some others like that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. 
It comes from, uh, it's anonymous. Oh, I like this question. Pastor Ron, does it seem to you that older people have been forgotten in the church today? Uh, anonymous, this question is so important because in large part, I do believe that churches have forgotten that older people exist. I'll just give you one example without naming the church, but it's a Calvary Chapel affiliate. Um, they got so intense in their pursuit of the younger generation that they forgot the older people that were there. They also forgot, evidently, that it was the older people who had been supporting that church for decades and decades. And so they end up now with a bunch of young people who aren't given anything, and um, uh, young people who are having a hard time, uh, and they're having a hard time filling the, the, the places to serve. So, yeah, I do think in the pursuit of being cool, in the pursuit of getting younger and younger, I don't know why that's such an uh, attraction for 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 so many churches, but it is, and I think uh, in 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 large part they've just forgotten that the older people are there. Uh, I think um, you know we who are older now, you know we grew up um, again, not me because I wasn't raised in the church, but people that were around for the Jesus movement um, during Calvary Chapel's beginnings. Um, you know we were introduced; they were introduced all of a sudden with contemporary Christian music, these hippies were getting saved. And, and so the, the hymns became um, the, the songs that contemporary Christian music has been founded on. Um, now, those are sort of our old hymns. We like those older Christian songs. Um, but now the music has gotten um, louder. It's gotten less... How can I say this? It make the, the 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 lyrics make less sense. They're less focused on biblical grounds than they were before. Uh, I think a lot of people my age um, are are put off a little bit by the music, and it's again it's all in the in the vein or in the the, the purpose of being cool and and being the contemporary church, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I think to some regard, uh, the older people have been forgotten. Now, now, here's what I really want to focus on, Anonymous. Um, the church needs older people just as desperately as the church needs younger people. See, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. If you do it right, if you're doing what God's called you to do, you're going to have a body that represents the entirety of the city that you minister in. I've said this before in our program, but our church is a perfect picture of our city. Uh, young and old, uh, Hispanic, um, um, white, black, and Asian, uh, in almost direct proportion to the population of the city of San Antonio. Uh, we have people from uh, all kinds of economic backgrounds, people that are barely scraping by, some that aren't even scraping by, but we've also got some people that are are um, blessed financially. And um, I, that's just the way a church is supposed to look. And if you would come to Calvary Chapel Anonymous, I think what you would find is that you're going to find somebody who looks like you. doesn't matter what you look like. You're going to find somebody who looks like you in direct proportion to the percentages uh, of, of the different types of people and different backgrounds of people. Uh, in the city that we, we live and minister in. 
Now, here's what's really important. I said we need older people. Young people need older people. This is the thing that really causes me to be uncomfortable at times. You walk into a place, there'll be a bunch of young people, and they're hanging around with other young people. There'll be people that are, are a little older, but not much older, and they're hanging around with people in their own age bracket. You see the older people come in sometimes, and, and uh, they'll talk to the people that they know, but uh, pretty much often will just keep to themselves. That's not the way it should be. Young people, especially those who are just getting started in their walk with Christ, they need the benefit of the wisdom that older people have imagined. I've got people in my church who've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. You can't tell me that a young person doesn't need that kind of experience and that type of encouragement. Just to know that somebody can faithfully traverse this world by walking with Jesus for decades and decades ought to be a source of inspiration. And young people ought to sort of impose their way into the older people's lives just to benefit from that wisdom and that spiritual maturity. By the same token, older people, and again, I'm 68 years old, so I'm, I'm talking people my age. We often will go into church and be a little bit intimidated by the young people, and, and we won't get involved. And we've got to take those steps of obedience and, and sort of Put ourselves in the middle of their lives. Offer our wisdom. And I don't mean we do that in an arrogant way. But, you know, you just do it by talking to people. I think older people ought to find some young people, maybe people that look like they're struggling a little bit, and say, you know what, how about after church we go to lunch? Let's just talk. Get to know them. Offer the benefit of your experience and your maturity. And uh, anonymous people just don't do that in church. We we have a tendency to stick to our own. I am always telling our church that when they come into this building, they you know say hi to the people that you know, but look for people you don't know. Look for people that are different from you. That's how life is rich, and that's why variety. Paula, she always says her favorite word is unique. The the, the unique makeup of the body of Christ. And we have people who've been through what other younger people are going through. And they can have a great deal of impact in their lives if they would just sort of step out of their comfort zone. So this is sort of an encouragement, I hope, for both younger people and older people and people in between to step outside of their comfort zone and talk to people that they're not familiar with and, and, and talk to people outside of their age or economic group. And just get to know them. And be available to be used. When I say to our church, come to church expecting to be used by God. Don't come to church to, to, to have somebody minister to you. Come to church instead to minister to others and ask God for those divine appointments. And he'll do that. One of the things I love about our men's Bible study, we have a men's Bible study, as you know, on Monday night, but we also have one on Saturday mornings, every other Saturday morning. And and the the variety of ages and backgrounds in those men's Bible studies is really, really important. So step outside your comfort zone and you won't let, if you're an older person, you won't let the church leave you behind. 
They do think, and I regret the fact that in many, many churches, um, older people simply aren't considered as they once were. Imagine how frustrating it would be to have been a part of a church for 20 years and you watch that church get younger and younger and younger and finally you get to the point where nobody even cares what you think or nobody asks you or offers you opportunities to minister. And we think, you know, this is my church. I've been supporting this church for all these years. And I do know churches, including Calvary Chapel, where some of the people my age feel as though the church has sort of left them out. That's sad. So I hope that helps, Anonymous. Thanks very much. There is another Anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, I know I need to stop drinking, but I'm afraid to even try. Drinking helps me sleep and relaxes me. So what would I do if I didn't drink? Well, Anonymous, I can tell you one thing you do. You please the Lord. Isn't that enough? When you say, I know I need to stop drinking, that's a direct comment about what the Spirit of God is saying to you. God wants you to trust in Him. When you say, I'm afraid to even try, Jesus said, don't be afraid, over and over and over. And here's a real test, Anonymous, of your faith. Do you believe in Jesus enough to cast those fears down at His feet? I mean, it's okay to admit you're afraid, that's just being honest. But what you don't want to do is ever let fear keep you in a place where you're not taking those steps of obedience. If you need alcohol to help you sleep, then you've got a problem. You need to drink. And I would say the same thing is true for marijuana. If you need these things to relax, then you've left Jesus completely out of your life. I'm not suggesting you're not saved. But you've left Jesus completely out of the management of your life. The one that we're supposed to give complete management control to, you've left him out. So here's what I would do. I would ask God to increase my faith. And I would purpose in my heart to trust Jesus. This is the Jesus that saved you. You trusted him for salvation. How about trusting him for a good night's sleep? Now, sometimes we do things to our body. We form either a physical or an emotional addiction to them. And yeah, there's going to be a bit of a struggle trying to break through that. But this has got to be important to you. And the reason it's important to you is because Jesus is asking you to do it. You know, I'm not a good sleeper. Um, Certainly I don't drink or any of that other stuff, but um, night times are sometimes like a wrestling match for me. You get attacked with terrible nightmares and... troubling dreams that don't kind of reach nightmare status. but um, And so every night, as I'm getting ready to close my eyes, Lord, protect me from the, my dreams and nightmare. Help me get some sleep. I ask God for quality rather than quantity. 
And you can do that too. He will be there for you, Anonymous. But if he wants you to stop drinking, it's because that will enable you to serve him unencumbered. So please, 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 just do it for Jesus. Do it because he loves you. You know he loves you. Do it to show that you trust him. That's what faith is. Faith is active trust. Believing that Jesus is going to be there for you at your time of need. He promised to be. And when you take that step of obedience, Acts 5.32 says the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. This is a fight worth fighting. Jesus is worth fighting for. And knowing that he's fighting with you ought to take away the fear. Not the discomfort. It's not going to block out the lies of the enemy. But it ought to bring you to a place of peace. And you be afraid? Sure. But don't let fear keep you where you are. Bethany says, what is the significance of the veil in the temple being torn when Jesus was crucified? Uh, Bethany, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and obviously we're going to get there when Jesus is crucified. Uh, in the Jewish temple, uh, the veil separated the holy place from the most holy place, um, also called the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was the, the room that only the high priest could go into and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. On the outside of that veil was the holy place where the Levites ministered. Now, Levites were always ministering there. and There were always different teams of Levites that were ministering. And when Jesus gave up his spirit and that veil was torn from the top to the bottom, by the way, and symbolically that's important because it's as though it was the hand of God who was ripping it from the top to the bottom. Now imagine what it would be like to have been a Levite in the holy place knowing you couldn't look behind that veil. No one can see God and live. Now we know what human nature is like. Every one of those priests wanted to peek behind that veil, but none of them ever dared do so. And all of a sudden, on that particular day, the priests that were serving at the temple in the holy place, suddenly they were looking into the Holy of Holies for the very first time. They would be terrified and exhilarated all at the same time. Like Isaiah, they must have thought, oh, surely I'm going to die because I've seen the Lord. But you see, the whole point of this, and this is the significance, Bethany, the whole point is that there was no longer any separation from God by man. For the first time ever, humans had access to the presence of God. The way had been made for mankind to get to heaven. How, how, how do we get there? What's the way? Well, the way is believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's God the Son. And now any man, not just the high priest, any man, any woman, Bethany, can enter into the Holy of Holies every single day. I'll go you one step better. Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy of Holies has come to us. And he now lives in us. He now leads us and guides us. Why? Because we have access. It's an amazing thing. I can talk to God anytime I want. I never get put on hold. I never get a recording. I never get somebody telling me, no, he's too busy, he can't talk to you now. I have access, and that's what the symbolism was of that veil being torn. You know, we read the story so often that it loses its significance. I can't express adequately what this must have meant for a Jew in Jesus' day. Job, you remember, cried out, if only there were a man to stand between me and God. Well, the day Jesus died, there was a man to stand between me and God. His name was Jesus. There's one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. And my sins were forgiven. I was perfect. And thus have full access not only to God, but to the kingdom of God. So Bethany, that's what the significance of the veil was. It is, I think, the most important part of the story. You can hear the music. We have 30 minutes left in the Tuesday program. The phones are quiet, so we'd love to have your calls. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left to take your questions and phone calls 340-9585 here is a question from natalie she wants to know if i think the bible should be taught in public schools natalie No, 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 a thousand times no. One thing we don't want, um, you know, when our country was founded and was going through its process of formation, um, kids were taught to read in the Bible. Um, But to have unbelievers teach the Bible would be a disaster. And so, no, I don't think the Bible should be taught in public schools, um, all kinds of damage, all kinds of errors could be done. Uh, what I think the public schools ought to do, Natalie, is teach kids to read, write, to do math, um, and and sort of go backwards, away from all of this worldly, topical nonsense, and just equip kids to be able to find out on their own what's true, what's not you know, our kids don't even know how to think anymore. So, here's a question from Amy. Uh, have you heard of the Reverend Tim Littleton? He's sharing some really scary stuff in churches about how gays are infiltrating churches to cause trouble, in effect forcing them to accept homosexual relationships. 
Uh, Amy, strangely, I, I've heard of uh, Reverend Littleton. Um, I don't know him, um, but uh, we get solicitations from people who want to come and talk to our people, and we stay away from political stuff, and we're not issue things. When we come to church, we come to teach the Bible and to worship God, so we kind of do the same thing all the time. Um, but here's my problem with guys who have ministries like this. And I hope this makes sense. I'm going to equate it to all of the panic that churches and pastors went through after the Sutherland Springs massacre. You know, well, we've got to protect our churches and we've got to have defense plans in place. And, uh, you, you know, what we have to do as Christians is do what we're called by God to do. We don't react to things. We do the things in obedience to what God's called us to do. And um, this Littleton's case, um, you know what, if, if homosexuals come to our church, people know what we teach, what I teach, and I do get some flack from what I teach and how directly I teach it. Um, if homosexual activists come to Calvary Chapel, they're going to hear the truth, they're going to hear the gospel, and they're going to be able to see how much I care about them. Now, what they choose to do with that is between them and, and, and God. They'll answer to him one day, not to me. So I'm not worried about our church or anybody else's church being infiltrated. What I'm worried about is being faithful to do the one thing we've been called to do, equip the saints for the work of ministry. In, in my case, that includes equipping the saints to be able to love difficult people. And and uh, if people come in to cause trouble, it's really not that much different than the people who come to church without any intention of really hearing God or letting the Lord or the Spirit of God or the Word of God change their lives. So they're all going to be accountable. We will do what we're supposed to do, and I think that's what church is on to do. I'm just not a big fan of... Um, these sort of conspiracy theory types say, well, you know, they're 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 going to take over and they're going to make it impossible to teach the word. Um, you know, you just do what you do and you you accept the consequence. Um, I know that we have um, men and women who identify as gay in our church. Every time the doors open, every time. And I think what they would tell you is that Pastor Ron loves them and he teaches the truth and I disagree with him, but I know he believes it to be true. And what I really want to do, Amy, what I really want to be able to accomplish is that they would understand that their opinion doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what the Word of God says. So, um, yeah, and normally I would say, no, I haven't heard of that guy, but, but I, I, I've actually been solicited by uh, his ministry and his staff um, to come here and speak. And we just don't do that when our doors are open, the Word of God is being taught. Three four zero ninety five eighty five Maria. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not reading right. It's Marion. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, can we actually hear God's voice audibly like some people in the Old Testament did? Mary, and the answer is no. Now, I know when I say that there's people listening who say, but I've heard God's voice audibly. No, you haven't. 
Now, I've heard God speaking to my heart so profoundly that it couldn't be any more clear if it was audible. But here's what we need to understand. That if any of us ever heard the real voice of God audibly, we would be absolutely disheveled. We would be broken. Talk about, woe is me, for I am undone. Uh, We wouldn't be able to stand in the presence of that voice. So does God speak to us? He speaks to us, Marion, in his word. Through his word, he speaks to us um, through divine encounters. He speaks to us by speaking to our heart. But we have to be so very, very careful because when God speaks to our heart, we're told to measure those things that we hear against the word of God. Not every spirit is from the Lord. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that we're sort of off limits for the enemy. That's why First John uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, test the spirits. How do we test it? We test it against the word of God. So no, we cannot actually hear God's voice audibly. Um, Marion, if you keep seeking the Lord, he will answer, and there will be times when it feels like you heard him audibly. That's how careful you are. You know, um, um, I was going to say a dozen times, I don't know if that's true. But I can tell you there are some things that I've heard so clearly from the Lord, it was as though Jesus was sitting there with me whispering in my ear to come to San Antonio um, to begin this work, um, to, to start a free school nearly 20 years ago, to, to, to do Malta Medical. Those are things that, that required huge steps of faith. And when we took those steps of faith, God was so pleased. But unless I was 100% certain, I mean zero doubt, I simply never would have done those things. That's how profound it was in those times when he spoke spoke to my heart. Let's go to line one and talk with Daniel in San Antonio. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was going to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, I know uh, the other day you were saying that uh, I think somebody called and asked you about, you know, which have you had any favorite teachers or, you know, Bible teachers or something similar along those lines. And I know you're referring to Adrian Rogers. And I, you know, I, I like Adrian Rogers and some of his, I listen to his teachings. But where do you... Um, I've noticed along the line and like in my own personal relationship with the Lord that, you know, I listen to a certain uh, teachers and, and I can, uh, you know, I, I notice that even in their own teachings, you know, sometimes I agree with, there's some times that I, I feel like I don't agree with them completely in mm-hmm. some of their views. And then at other times I agree with them and some, so how do you balance? Uh, because even like, Within certain teachers, you know, they'll they they teach certain things differently from others, and they don't. I don't mm-hmm. feel like not everybody agrees one hundred percent on. So, how do you balance that in you know in your own personal beliefs? Great question, Daniel. Thank you. Uh, a couple of, couple of things. Um, 
unity. I, th- I think we have a, a misplaced idea about what unity is. Unity doesn't mean that we agree on everything. Paul writes that it's necessary that there are differences. Uh, the differences will discern, help us discern who's preaching the true gospel, who's preaching a false gospel. And when people are have different views on things, I think based on what that thing is, um, I weigh it very heavily or not so heavily. I'll give you an example. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, who um, is as faithful a Bible teacher as, as there's been in our lifetime. Um, God is still honoring his ministry, um, you know, more than 20 years after he went and, and, and went to be with Jesus. Um, uh, he was a cessationist. He didn't believe in, in the gifts of the Spirit being for today. I disagree with him. And yet, knowing where he's coming from and knowing his heart for God and knowing his passion for the Word, that's not something we would ever, I would ever even consider dividing over. It's just something that when he would teach, uh, I, I, I went through him when I was a brand new Christian. I went through First Corinthians with him on, on the radio. And, um, you know, I could say, well, you know, I, I just don't agree with that. That doesn't mean I think he's a bad teacher. Um, I think there are things that happen in their lives that, that force them in a different direction. Uh, John MacArthur is another guy. John MacArthur is a guy who's a, a, a gifted, wonderful Bible teacher. Um, uh, he is a cessationist as well. I disagree. Now, when he is talking about Calvinism or predestination or election, um, that's when he ceases to become an effective Bible teacher for me. He, 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 he stops using his own hermeneutics, his own principles of interpretation when it comes to that and just asks people to take these logical or illogical leaps. And, and so I can listen to them and I can pick out what's good and, and throw out what's bad. At the same time, I see a real difference in the heart of J. Vernon McGee versus the heart of John MacArthur. Uh, Adrian Rogers, I, I certainly don't agree. He's very, very Southern Baptist. I don't agree with um, their position on tongues. I don't agree with um, many of the things that they teach. But but you see, when I hear Adrian Rogers teach, um, I hear I hear the voice of God. I hear his passion for the word. And God's honored his ministry as well. Another guy I mentioned, uh, I think two weeks ago, when, when that question came in, um, was Tony Evans. Uh, I'm just now, and I've been listening to Tony Evans for 15 years. I'm just now able to listen to him and not be distracted by his shouting. It's not my style. It's just not something that appeals to me. And yet this is a guy who's one of the really, really great Bible teachers uh, of our day. And, and there are things that he teaches that I'm not in agreement with. So it depends on the thing that, that w- the area that we don't agree. But when you hear these guys teach, you can really hear the voice of God. And one other thing I want to say, Daniel, and this is for me the most important thing. I won't name this person by name, but I think the best Bible teacher that I've ever heard is a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor um, who, as it turns out, having gotten to know him over the last 20 years, 
isn't a nice guy. He's just not a nice guy. He's not kind. He doesn't walk in the gifts of the Spirit. He doesn't demonstrate many of the fruits of the Spirit. And so as great a Bible teacher as he is, I have a hard time listening to him because of what I know about him. And so for me, I want people who walk the walk, not just talk the talk, but who walk the walk. And Adrian Rogers did, uh, Tony Evans does, and there are many, many others. And uh, from my perspective, Daniel, those are the things that are really important to me. So thank yeah, you, Daniel, I, for that. Go ahead. Well, right, just real quick. Um, yeah, because I was thinking when you were saying Adrian Rogers, I was thinking like, okay, well, I, don't, I think Adrian Rogers has a different view on tongues because I've heard him mm-hmm. speak about it. But And I, I, I agree, like I have your view, and like I can say, like, oh, I don't really agree with Adrian Rogers on his view, but uh, just another quick point is like I don't, and this is my own uh, evaluation. But do you think that sometimes as Christians, you know, do I sometimes I think you know, if the Lord chooses to reveal Himself in a certain way to us, and and maybe not to another person, I sometimes feel like we. Do you think that sometimes we create our own bias of what, you know, like if somebody says, well, you know, this is my, you know, this is when my testimony or whatever, yep. you know, or my experience with the Lord. And because I've said, like, even if I've shared my faith sometimes with other believers and sometimes they, 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 they you know, they talk to me like if maybe I'm making it up or something and I'm like, no, this yeah. is not telling you the truth, you know, and, yep. and they don't believe me, you know, but I'm like, well, Lord, you know, I'm not lying, but yeah. Daniel, it takes faith. It takes faith to believe. So when somebody doesn't listen, don't let that um, uh, discourage you at all. Um, that's a, that's a different subject. But um, um, one of the things we have to remember is that the the word of God is perfect, and it's being taught by and interpreted by imperfect people. And we all have biases. That was very discerning of you. We all have biases. And I'll give you one example: um, um, uh, John MacArthur. His position on tongues uh, is is been shaped and molded almost exclusively not by what the scripture says, because he will say very clearly the gift of tongues is not for today, and and almost any other question you'd ask him he'd say well the Bible says but there's no place in the Bible where it says that, and so his perspective on tongues has been shaped by the abuses of tongues that he's seen for so many years. John MacArthur has been doing what he does for almost 50 years. And and he's seen so much abuse of the gifts. And you've seen him as he's gotten older, he's gotten farther and farther uh, away from um, um, agreeing that there are differences uh, in the use of the, of the gifts. He, he just says, no, the gifts are being abused. This is from the devil. And you need just to, to, to walk away from any experience like that. And um, that's not what our Bible tells us. And so he's, he's just because of all of the abuses in these crazy charismatic churches uh, and these Pentecostal churches where everybody's speaking in tongues at once, uh, truthfully, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to, to, to real believers that other believers will, will go in and behave like that. And so it's just easier to say, no, they're misusing it. It's from the devil. And so the gift of tongues isn't for today. 
And and it's the, the biases that we develop. It's difficult. One of the reasons I don't listen to too many Bible teachers is because I don't want my biases to change what I'm learning from what they say. And I don't want to try to sound like them or copy them. And so I, I just, I, I want as as much as I'm able, my biases to stay out of my teaching. Now, I'm, I have biases like everybody else, but um, hopefully, and, and I, I just say this prayerfully, I'm able to keep those biases away. I, I don't think I have a position on anything um, where the word seems to suggest that I'm wrong, and then I've, I've, I've tried to make excuses or rationalize why something isn't the way it is. Daniel, great questions. Thank you very much for calling. I appreciate your calls and your questions. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question from Joshua. He says, I heard a preacher say that comfort is the enemy of the church. What do you think he meant and what's wrong with being comfortable? Well, Joshua, I can tell you what he meant. I, I don't... Uh, I don't know who you're talking about, obviously, but um, in, in times of comfort, um, we, we kind of keep our distance from the Lord. And, and churches that have a lot of money, churches that have everything they need, uh, the church at Ephesus is a great example. When Jesus wrote to them, he said, you know, you're doing all these things right, and, and, and I'm proud of you for it, but I have this one thing against you, you've lost your first love. I think comfort gets us to a place where we don't need to walk by faith. Um, and and so uh, it becomes the enemy of the church because there's nothing that we can do without faith. Uh, being comfortable is wrong if, in fact, it takes us away from what God wants us to do. Let's go to line two. We've got uh, Jim from San Marcos. And then, if time, Jim from San Antonio on line three. Jim, you're on the air. Hey, Ron, I'll make it quick. Uh the comfort in church thing, that wasn't what I called, but uh, the comfort in church thing, let, let me just back up. Uh, keeping the main things the main thing, and somebody not speaking in tongues means they're not born again. That's not a main thing. That is not a that's main right. thing. The Holy Spirit living in us and the Spirit coming out in our actions, that's a main thing. There's a pastor in, in Ohio that's on the radio a lot. He's on you alls show in the morning, on you alls station in the morning. He always says, keep the main things the main things. Let's not argue about these superficial things, or the side things, the smaller things. And then the other thing, I want to give Jim San Antonio time to call in, but the thing being comfortable in church, I had to walk out of that church bawling my eyes out a few times back in 08 to realize I was, I had problems, I had issues. So being comfortable mm-hmm. in that church on those days would have been a bad thing for me. Being uncomfortable was really good for me. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Jim. Great, great comment. And believe me, comfort is the, is the personal enemy of our Walk with Jesus. Let's go to Jim on line three in San Antonio. Jim, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Thanks, Jim. Great. Uh, back to the gift of tongues. Um, now, I've always said that if you have the gift of tongues, you know what you're talking about. It's not gibberish, correct? Uh, no. I didn't think so. I mean, when somebody says they have the gift of tongues, I ask them, what are they, what are they saying? And they should know what they're saying. And, and I've always felt strongly about that. 
Yeah, Jim, I, I disagree with you. B- biblically, uh, and here's, this is important. Uh, Paul says that when we speak in tongues, we should also ask for the gift of interpretation. But the gift of interpretation is a gift that isn't given to everybody. So the gift of tongues is simply a, a, a venture in faith. It's trusting um, beyond what makes sense to us. It's trusting God uh, to, 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 be, to be praying in the spirit of God, uh, in the will of God. And, and I have the gift of tongues. I do not have the gift of interpretation. At one time, I've been able to interpret what I was saying. God wanted to deliver a special message to me. But, but by and large, I don't have the gift of interpretation. So when I practice tongues, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know who I'm praying for or what circumstances I'm praying about. I sometimes have sort of an idea, but, but I don't know and, and when I pray for the gift of interpretation doesn't come, well, that's when I have to comfort myself in, myself in, in trusting the Lord, that he knows what I'm praying for. I'm praying right in the middle of his perfect will. It's a spirit-led prayer. Thus, those prayers are going to be answered. And I can, by faith, rejoice in that. So uh, speaking in tongues doesn't mean you're going to know what you're talking about unless you also have the gift of interpretation and that is a precious gift, and far too peop- far too few people uh, really, Jim, try to um, um, understand, ask, asking the Lord. Uh, and, and, you know, I think sometimes tongues becomes a gift that we sort of tire of, and sort of it fizzles out. And uh, praying in tongues is a vertical gift between you and God. It's for uh, your encouragement and your edification. It's something that we, all of us, ought to practice and pursue. The Spirit knows our groans, Romans 8, Romans 8 says. That's kind of the same idea. Hey, we're off the air in just a moment. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Word of Santa for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.